Welcome to Into the Breach, a reps and warranties policy podcast by Brian O'Keefe and Jenna Usenheimer, partners and co-leaders of the Transactional Underwriting Council practice at Cyforth Shaw, interviewing leaders from the industry and exploring the latest developments, market trends, and news impacting RWI and the transactional risk insurance markets. Hello and welcome to the latest, greatest edition of Into the Breach. I'm Brian O'Keefe, your co-host. I'm here with Jenna Usenheimer, my other co-host. How are you, Jenna? I'm good. How are you, Brian? I'm doing fantastic. And we are taping this one actually one week after the uh, Super Bowl of RWI events up at the Mohegan Sun Casino, where we all had a fantastic time. So Jenna, I have to start off this one by asking. What was like your real highlight of the Mohegan Sun Conference? What is the thing that you've been thinking about since you left the casino floor? (laughs) Um, Well, I guess I have to say our party Tuesday night was so fun. It was super well attended. I was really happy to see so many familiar faces and have the chance to catch up with everybody. So that and you paid the bill. So it was a perfect situation for me. And what about you? Well, we, we do, and we do appreciate everybody who came to the party. Uh, you know, there is a little moment of going back to being a little kid or something and wondering if anybody is going to show up at your birthday party um, that we have when totally. we planned this, but um, it was totally. uh, a smashing success, and there were a lot of people there, and we're really happy that so many people from the industry came out and were able to enjoy some uh, drinks and cocktails on, on Cypher. So I, I second that one. Um, I don't know. My favorite thing, you know, there was this really awesome panel on reps and warranties insurance in a recessionary environment that had some really (laughs) great panelists on it. So maybe I'll list that as being the highlight. So that's very sweet. Thank you. I'm sure that was the highlight of everybody's shift. I know you didn't thought. Well, well, we have we have with us today a guest who was also at the Mohegan Sun Conference. So we can ask him what his highlight of the Mohegan Sun Conference is. And we are very excited to have mm-hmm. with us today Ben Welch, who's the head of Archer Transactional, a balanced partners program. And Ben is going to be on today to talk with us uh, about uh, his new uh, startup here with Archer and uh, what they're going to be up to. So thank you very much, Ben, for joining the show. We really appreciate it. Great. Thanks, Brian and Jenna. Thanks for having me. Great. Well, Absolutely. Well, yes, thank you so much, Ben. And we know that you are a, uh, we'll say, quote unquote, veteran um, in this industry and that you've uh, been around for for quite a while uh, in transactional risk. But maybe for some of our listeners who aren't familiar with your background, we always uh, like to get the scoop on how people ended up in this um, and and how they kind of made this uh, career change to get involved in this industry. So maybe if you just want to give us a little bit of background on yourself, that'd be great. Sure, happy to do that. And you know, I think it's it's funny that you know I started underwriting in 2014, which wasn't that long ago, and I'm already considered a veteran, which I think shows you how much it has grown. And you know, being at that conference last week really uh, illustrates how much it has grown. Because when I started underwriting at Beasley in 2014, there were six markets in the U.S. underwriting transaction liability policies. And now, <laughs> now I think it's 127 or something like that. Um, so it's, it's really it's more. Yeah. <laughs> it might be, it's really grown tremendously. And so it doesn't take that long 
to become a veteran in this space when it's when it's grown like that. But um, yeah, I started out practicing law in 2005 at a firm in Boston called Brown Rudnick. Uh, and so unlike a lot of people in this space, I was a commercial litigator. I did, uh, you know, but back then, I think Brown Rudnick is probably known right now for representing um, uh, what's his name against Amber Heard. Um, Oh, really? Johnny, Johnny Depp. Depp. Yeah, Johnny Depp. Johnny uh, Depp, yeah. yeah they, I didn't know uh, we were going to have a Johnny Depp podcast <laughs> today. <laughs> yeah, I was I was actually a little surprised to see Brown Rudnick, but, you know, they, they've grown into other spaces since I was there, but bankruptcy litigation was, was their bread and butter. So I did a lot of uh, complex Chapter 11 bankruptcy litigation, but also did healthcare fraud and abuse, defense litigation, environmental litigation, uh, some insurance coverage litigation there, just sort of a broad base of litigation. Um, and then in 2012, uh, they had uh, a layoff and I was included in that. And uh, fortunately uh, went to Peabody and Arnold from, from Brown Rudnick. And that's where I learned about transaction liability and rep and warranty policies and started handling claims on rep and warranty policies that Beasley was underwriting at the time. And from that, I got to know mm. John McNally, who you had on recently. Um, yeah. And yeah, and when, when, uh, my wife and I, my wife's a healthcare lawyer, moved to uh, Atlanta. And John, at that point, they didn't have anyone in the U.S. underwriting, even though they were doing U.S. policies from, from London. Uh, and they wanted uh, an underwriter here in the U.S. and asked if I would be interested in I jumped at the chance to stop billing in six minute increments and underwrite uh, rep and warranty policies. So that was in July of 2014 uh, and been underwriting the, the policies ever since. Well, we're, we're, that's a quite a background. And yes, it is interesting how uh, maybe not being in, involved in this space for like that long in the grand scheme of things makes you a veteran, but it shows uh, how, how much this has developed in uh, how I also think we're sort of still in the infancy uh, stages in many ways um, with this, even though it's certainly come a long ways uh, since that time in 2014. So, so it's sure. great to um, hear about your background, Ben, and maybe want to talk a little bit about your new um, alpha here with Archer and, um, you know, how you came to, came to be at the place you're at now uh, with your new shop. Yeah. Um, so I was at uh, Blue Chip Underwriting before this for five years. And uh, you you both know what 2021 looked like. Uh, it was a we crazy, crazy <clears throat> busy year coming out of uh, COVID. Um, and I think maybe it was the experience of being, you know, of COVID and working remote. And um, I just thought it would be a good opportunity to take the experience I had gained since 2014 and put it into a, a platform um, to try to make it the, the best uh, transaction liability underwriting platform uh, in the U.S. I mean, that that's the goal. And, you know, one of the one of the sort of core principles of starting it was to marry the underwriting efficiency with claims uh, handling efficiency. 
So why don't we start, why don't we back up a little before we talk about claims, but can you tell us a little bit what it was like moving over to Archer and having to get capacity and I assume hire and build your team from scratch and what that was like in this environment? Uh, Nerve wracking, uh, but, but, but also exciting. Um, you know, um, when, when I started planning this um, and, and, you know, put together a business plan for Archer, we were coming out of 2021. And I think now, you know, when I talk to a lot of people, they have hindsight and say, well, we all knew that 2021 was going to like really slow down. But, you know, when you're in the thick of that, you think, yeah, it might, it's not going to continue the way, the way it is, but it might slow down a little bit. So still really robust market. And so when I go back and look at the business plan that we put together for Archer back, you know, in the, in the beginning of 2022, it's pretty funny to, to look at it at this point because the market has just completely changed. Um, but, you know, as far as getting capacity, uh, it, I, I would say it was tougher to get the capacity for Archer than it was for Vail when, when I was there in 2015 and for Blue Chip uh, for, yeah. for the owners of that in, in 2017. And I think the main reason for that is if there are interested insurers out there, they're already in it. And so uh, try, trying to uh, get their capacity for a new new platform is tougher. Um, and again, I, you know, I think a, a main theme for me in this space is relationships, connections. Um, I was fortunate to uh, have a good relationship with the folks at Old Republic, and they uh, supported Archer very early on. Um, and you know, we got we got the, we got their capacity, got a line from them uh, very early on. And I thought when we got that that other insurers would line up pretty quickly, but it took from you know from March of 2022 and, until November of. 2022 to get to 15 million uh, of capacity uh, to be able to sort of enter the market and, and write policies. Well, well, I think, I um, mean, I think when we, Brian and I look back to March 2022, I mean, that Q, that Q1 in 2022 felt really like a 2021 hangover and the rest of 2022 really slowed down. So to, to think about where we were Q1 2022 to where we are now, it's, it's quite a, quite a sea change here, but Yes, absolutely. But, but, but yeah. I also think it shows that I think it shows your um, excellent reputation in the market and uh, obviously the very strong connections you have that you're able uh, to sort of still be able to get capacity and, and do this uh, in the middle of a time when uh, things are maybe, shall we say, transitional um, is the best word to describe where it's out there today. So I think just kudos to you for uh, sticking with it and being able to, to get the backers you have. Um, uh, to buy into it, into it at a time perhaps when it's a little bit different than uh, than a boom time. I think that's even more of an accomplishment, really. Thank you, thank you. And I should say, you know, it's it's not just me. Um, Joe Calise, one of the owners of, of Balance Partners, was a reinsurance broker at Guy Carpenter before they founded Balance. So he's got lots of connections in the space, and you know, his connections resulted in Homesite Underwriting Managers, which is part of American Family, coming on. Um, and their their new capacity to the space, so that's good. And also, his his connections led to Renry uh, coming on and, and supporting us. So, so now now we're at twenty five million in capacity, which is which is important to be able to write primary policies in the space. Yeah, 
So speaking of your team, can you talk to us a little bit about, you know, your underwriting appetite, any recent, you know, successes or big wins that you've had, or, you know, are you still sort of figuring all of that out as you grow and develop? <laughs> well, I mean, I'd say one of the, one of the more surprising things when we entered the market in November is the amount of contingent liability submissions that, that came in, um, you know, up until I'd say, I'd say this, this year, or, or maybe the end of last year, um, we were always trying to see if contingent liability would become a real market. Um, and it seems like it has now because we're getting contingent liability submissions almost on a, you know, several a week. Um, and so, so that was a surprise. And given the slowdown on the rep side, it was good to have some contingent liability submissions. So we've done three of those. Uh, but also the 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 tax uh, the tax submissions are also pretty robust right now, and we're fortunate to have a, a great tax lawyer on our team, Bob Goudreau. Uh, he's got twenty years of of tax experience. Um, he was at Medtronic before doing uh, advice on tax, um, doing providing advice on tax issues internally at Medtronic. So he's got great experience and has already uh, underwritten several tax policies and developing good relationships with uh, tax brokers in the space. And then we have Ali Casa Grand, who's uh, was a M&A partner at Herschler Fleischer down in, in Richmond, Virginia. And you know she, she knows purchase agreements and credit agreements inside and out, which is great to have on the team, great expertise to have on the team. And she's already underwritten uh, several reps policies. And from what I hear, brokers love love working with her. Great. Well, I well think, we love um, her too because yeah. she came up to us at Mohegan and told us how what a big fan she is of the podcast. And now she listened to all yes. our episodes. So we are big fans of Allie on the pod. That's for sure. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that was actually very special when she came up to us and was telling us she'd listen to this. And I mean, it was it was very, very, uh, very, very flattering. And we were really uh, impressed. So we we love her, too. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Great. But, uh, well, you know, I think uh, I think you're showing uh you know, success already, though, even though it is a challenging atmosphere right now, uh, getting out there and being able to write policies is, of course, great in this sort of atmosphere. So maybe that would uh, switch over to the other side of the house here. Um, I know you talked a little bit about uh, claims and wanting to have a, a certain claims experience and uh, perhaps having come from a claims background and, and working at Peabody and Arnold and being a litigator. Can, can you talk about what your what your approach is to claims and and how you think you can differentiate yourself in the market with respect to claims? Yeah, sure. And I think uh, if you were if you were saw some of the panels at the Executive Summit conference last week, and you see it on on other panels at other conferences as well, there's a, always someone on the panel that talks about frustration on the part of insureds on uh, how how long it takes to work out. Uh, claims uh, on these policies. And I think, you know, th there are various reasons for that. But what I wanted to make sure of is that when, when uh, a broker or an insured entrusts Archer to underwrite a rep and warranty policy, and we execute on that, that we're going to be there when a claim comes in. And we're also going to bring the same 
efficiency and dedication and approach to working out the claims process. So I made sure that that Archer um, in our business plan, it was an important part of our business plan that Archer would have uh, claims handling authority internally. And when I say that, you know, we don't have the authority to write a check uh, when when a claim uh, needs to actually get paid. Uh, a couple of our insurers have to sign off on that, but the claims handling process, when a claim comes in, we'll stay with it and facilitate uh, the resolution of it right through through payment uh, or, or you know decision, and that that was important uh, to us. Yeah, and I, and I think that is important. I think some other markets don't necessarily have that um, ability, and that certainly can. Uh, you know, add another monkey wrench or whatever to the claims process. So I'm sure that your insured will appreciate that, you know, you'll be involved in that directly and, and be able to hopefully facilitate that whenever the time comes that the payout claims. Absolutely. Great. So I think one other subject that we um, were sort of talking about uh, uh, beforehand about was, you know, sort of innovations in transactional risk and, you know, I've been talking with people about, you know, chat GBT and all these other <laughs> sorts of things and AI. And, you know, we know that you're an innovative and forward thinking sort of person. So we were just, you know, what was your sort of opinion on that and, and where where you see those sorts of things fitting into to transactional risk in the future? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> chat GPT is interesting, right? Uh, because I think a lot of people are, are worried that it will replace them. And you know, when you hear people talk about uh, AI and how it's going to grow, um, maybe some of those feelings have merit. I don't know. But I think when you, when you think about the, the amount of documentation and information that, that we look at when we're looking at a submission and, you know, thinking about whether to quote it or on the underwriting side, when you get all, all the diligence reports, et cetera, you can imagine a use of chat GPT that would you know, summarize those documents for you and maybe even identify certain areas of risk for you uh, beforehand. But I, but I don't think uh, what I don't think it'll replace like that. We'll just accept what chat GPT puts out and, and, and use that to make decisions on risks. Um, I, I've used it to look up uh, like legal questions and have found it to be wrong, just flat wrong on the answers it gives. And when you when you when you tell it it's wrong, it apologizes and gives you the right answer. Uh, so. Well, my friend Alan used it to generate a workout for him. He said, "Like, man, this is my height, weight, age, legs workout," and he was delighted. So I guess it's good as a personal trainer, but not so much as outside counsel. Um, So one of the things we also wanted to talk about was I think you share our opinion that everyone in this industry is so lovely and wonderful. And we wanted to give you an opportunity to share, you know, your (laughs) thoughts about how, especially coming out of Mohegan, hopefully when everybody is on your good side and not your bad side. No, absolutely. You know, I think, and it's really one of the best parts about being in this space and, you know, I, I didn't. I didn't experience it at, at a law firm, and I think you guys probably are because you're you're in the space. But when I was practicing law, at like Brown Rudnick, I didn't feel like I was necessarily part of a com- a community of people all sort of dedicated to the same goal and interested in in the same goal. Um, and I 
you know, you really feel that here. There, it's it's really a community of people, and, and you know, I really I really feel like the the community of people here feel it's like a special thing that that we're doing. I don't know, maybe we're in like a little bubble altogether. It, we actually kind of are because when you step outside of it, no one knows what the heck we're doing. Um, and so fr from that point, yeah, it's my interesting. Mom it's yeah. <laughs> yeah, my mom, my mom can't even describe what this is. Brian works for a big law firm. <laughs> right. But even, even just the little things like, you know, when I was up at the Mohegan Sun, I went and got coffee and ran into Nate McKittrick from DLA Piper. Um, and just had a, it was like a five minute conversation with him about retentions and, you know, some internal work that we did at Archer to assess, you know, the, the decrease in retention rates, how that might affect loss ratios. And we had like just a quick five minute conversation, but things like that, I think, you know, they really sort of burnish, um, the feeling of being part, part of something together with everyone, which, which I really appreciate. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, well, I think we are going to move into our once more unto the breach uh, section of our podcast here. Unless there's anything else you want to say, any more promotion you want to give, talk about how great <laughs> Archer is, or anything else, upcoming events, anything else, um, or we'll move into this next section. I, th I think I would just say that we we put together a, a great team here at Archer and. Uh, we're really looking forward to uh, growing it and becoming a, a big player in the space. Great. Awesome. Okay. So um, as our loyal listeners know, this next section is, we call it the fun section of the podcast. We ask that we have three questions. The first two questions are the same for every guest. And the last section <laughs> is the mystery fun question. So first up, what is the biggest change that you think we'll see in transactional risk in the next 12 months? Oh, and you're not allowed to say <laughs> it is going to slow down more. That's not. <laughs> well, I think uh, I think I heard Matt Hines say that he expects it to to sort of break out in the second half of, of this year. And uh, good, let's hope. Let's yeah, hope. I know. I I really hope so. And that, that's the that's the hard part because you can make arguments for it sort of breaking out and uh, getting really busy in the second half of this year and and 2024. But you can also see arguments for. Um, you know, things happening that could that could slow it down. You know, right now the, the debt ceiling issue is is causing some concern and there's no way to predict how, how that might how that might turn out. Um, but I think, you know, and you hear this over and over again, private equity firms and corporations have a lot of money to to put to work. Um, so at some point that will happen. Uh, it's just it's a question of when. I like that you avoided the cliche. If you were going to say dry powder, I was going to like bleep it out, you know? Purposely like you avoided that, that phrase anymore. <laughs> I was waiting for it and then you avoided it. It was beautiful, Ben. That was like, you know. Yeah. But, I, you know, I would say I think contingent liability, uh, I think we're going to see more of those in, in sort of the, the um, mainline judgment preservation, adverse judgment. We're starting to see portfolio risks come across. And when you think about what a contingent risk could be, uh, it's it's really almost endless. Uh, and so I think I think we'll see that space grow over the next year to two years. Yeah, yeah, I'll make sense. Um, okay, and then what is a piece of career advice uh, you would give someone who might be interested working in this space? 
you know, I, I think again, you come back to relationships and connections and and the the energy and excitement that that people have for for the work in this space. And so I think if if anyone out there, if you're a law student uh, or or a young lawyer or you're you know an accountant, uh, finance person, uh, and you think you would like to get in this space, you should feel free to just cold call anyone in the space. And I, I'm pretty sure that they'll they'll love to talk to you and talk to you about how to how to get in the space. Yeah. Well, uh, just so you know, we have heard that some of our guests have been cold called by young up and coming interns and college students. So get <laughs> feel free. Get prepared. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I think I completely agree with that advice. And and I just want to also second what you said, Ben, about just the community and the interesting culture, I, I suppose, that we have in this industry. It's certainly something that attracted us to this space when we started working in it. And there's a lot of very generous and kind people in this space, as opposed mm-hmm. to a lot of areas of the law. So um, that's certainly something that we've experienced, too. So just wanted to second that point completely. No, um, absolutely. And your uh, your your podcast is becoming is becoming a part of the community, right? Like everyone talks about it and listens to it. So it's Aww, cool. Everyone, very cool. That's nice. <laughs> you, you'll find out after this airs, you know, the pop yeah, right. will be after out. you. Ratings will go down. <laughs> life changes. What can we say? So, all right. So the final question, the mystery fund question. So, uh, Ben, this is one that I had a particular interest in. So, um, so my father was a newspaper editor at a small daily newspaper in Pennsylvania for 35 years. So I grew up in a journalism family and a journalism background and used to go to the paper with my dad on Saturdays (laughs) and would smell the print and the whole, like the whole nine yards of being from a newspaper family. And uh, I know that before law school, you were a journalist and you had also worked as a, as a reporter. So um, I'm just curious if you had like a, a big scoop, a big story, something that you were really <laughs> a journalism sort of home run uh, that if my dad is, if I can con him into listening to this, he will at least enjoy this part of the, of the podcast here. <laughs> you know, uh, when you ask that question, I... When I was a daily newspaper reporter, I was covering small towns in Litchfield County, Connecticut. And so a big story in those towns is not like the big news story that you see uh, on TV or in the New York Times. But I do I do remember specifically going to interview the superintendent of the Washington Public Schools in Washington, Connecticut. And I was in inter- I was talking to him in his office about something else. And I noticed something on his desk about uh, title title nine and girls basketball games and saw that they were getting accused of favoring the boys basketball teams by having their games at like 6 p.m. on Friday nights and the girls basketball games were at like three o'clock Uh and so I got a scoop in in the region by writing a story about uh, the the Washington Public Schools changing the times of girls basketball games to give them equal uh, exposure. Well, well, my journalist, my journalism dad would love that story, and uh, <laughs> also he worked at a very similar newspaper that was far away from the New York Times or 
or the Washington Post, but they were always after scoops just like that and uh, keeping the uh, the local crooks honest and that sort of thing um, mm-hmm. and provided a very valuable service. So I'm always, uh, I just have a lot of admiration for people who had that as part of their resume and background and uh, glad that you were able to share that story with us too. That's fantastic. Thank you. Great. Yeah, well, I thanks so. Yeah. <laughs> Jenna's dad was a radio person, which is why she's such really? a natural at doing the podcast here. So well, he wasn't on the air. He was in management. I wasn't um, going to yeah, mention that I, part, but but you let it go. So you know. But all right. I well, did use call. Like I used to call on that like anniversary and like sing happy anniversary and they would like tape it and like put it on air. That was, I guess that was the start to my like uh, worldwide on air domination, Brian. You just didn't know. I was like in training for 30 years. I'm I'm now, now my new task between now and the next time we do a podcast is to uh, track down the lost tapes of Jenna singing happy birthday, I guess, (laughs) on some radio show back in the eighties. I mean, this, this sounds like something I would, it's like, I want to find, totally. out, find out on totally. eBay or something. I'd pay good money for it. So great. Well, on that note, uh, Ben, we'll let you go. So you don't get too far into the muck with us, but thanks so much for uh, being a guest on the show today. Uh, it sounds like Archer's yeah. off to a fantastic start here. Uh, we're really happy for you and delighted that you could join us today. So thank you so much. Great. Thanks guys. Yeah, thank really you. appreciate it. All right, Jenna. Well, we made it through another one here. Uh, made it through Mohegan Sun. So we'll see what's on the horizon next year as we uh, start heading into the summer. Absolutely. But thanks everyone for joining and thanks to Ben for being a guest on our podcast. Yes, we really appreciate it, Ben. So, all right. And until next time. Thank you for listening to Into the Breach. For show notes, additional resources, and links to the tools discussed on today's episode, please visit rwipodcast.com. The views and opinions expressed by Brian O'Keefe and Jenna Usenheimer in this podcast are their own and do not necessarily represent the views and opinions of Cyfarth Shaw, LLP, its partners, or its employees. The podcast does not provide legal or other professional services. This podcast is made available by the lawyer publishers for educational purposes only as well as to give you general information and a general understanding of the law, not to provide specific legal advice. By listening to this podcast, you understand that there is no attorney-client relationship between you and the lawyer publishers. The podcast should not be used as a substitute for competent legal advice from a licensed professional attorney in your state. As defined in the State Bar of New York's Code of Professional Responsibility, this podcast is considered a form of attorney advertising. Prior results do not guarantee similar outcomes.